Hi, this is Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20 Minute Scriptorian, where we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and while this is an official, I am a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A little bit scholarly, a little bit inspirational, this podcast will attempt to help us become better disciples of Christ. Join me, Scriptorians. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. This is Lori, and it's been a long pause, and I wanted to uh, chat with you today, but also go through that. And uh, Moroni, one through six, so next on the 20-minute script rhyme. Hey, so yeah, I've had to take a little bit of a break. Uh, as most of you know, I work full-time, and I also, which has been super busy with COVID, I do work in fulfillment and shipping, and so you guys are all ordering online, and so we're booming, and so I've had to travel a bit, and we're opening some new facilities, etc. so I've been really busy with that. But also, my master's degree is uh, has been speeding up, and so I have just been swamped. So I apologize for missing out, and I appreciate all the reach out and kindness and everyone's shown, um, but I've just had to take a pause. I just could not get to some of the stuff at all. But I did want to uh, jump on a topic today on uh, Mormon 1 through 6, which I know we're just finishing today, but I wanted to chat about a little bit. So um, last night was uh, Halloween here in the United States, and uh, while we are kind of COVID quarantined, I was at a friend's house who's a neighbor in our ward and was um, thinking about the lesson that I was going to teach today, and I'd been working on it, and I just still hadn't had anything come to mind. So they had lots of, um, we were just kind of sitting around and stuff, so I said, hey, I wanted to talk to you guys on what do you think about Mormon 1 through 6, and so my friend Michelle brought down her scriptures and she had marked them up and things. And I was looking through her scriptures and and had, you know, an interesting aha, which I think we'd all have if we looked at each other's scriptures. But she used, she uses the printed kind. So she's got notes and post-it notes and highlights and comments and quotes and things and really a devout um, student. And I was looking at her uh, scriptures thinking, well, I wonder what she, what point she's getting out of uh, Mormon 1 through 6. And based on some of her notes and things, there were very different points than I was getting out. And we all know that. But when you're sitting and looking at someone's scriptures, it's very telling, you know. So she had a really interesting points on what we become and a judgment and even had some questions on the three Nephites. And I started thinking, what is Mormon's point? What What is Mormon trying to get out? And, and so let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about context and structure and narrative and how it works a little bit and just see if it doesn't help your study. So just like being at Michelle's house yesterday, I was thinking, well, what, what does the author intend? Now, you can get anything you want out of Scripture, and the Spirit can speak to you, and it's all equally valid. But there are times when I wonder, well, what does the author think? I mean, here's Mormon. He has actually compiled this entire editorial book of the Book of Mormon, and then he's writing his own book, Little B, Book of Mormon. And what is he trying to say to us? Because he is looking at basically a thousand years history, a time when they left Jerusalem, and it was just as wicked almost as, as it is here. I mean, they were even doing child sacrifice there as it is at the time of the Nephite um, demise of the civilization falling with the Nephites and Lamanites. And so you have this very similar repeat in history of pretty evil civilizations and people who had completely turned from the Lord and the spirit wasn't with them anymore. And yet they'd had it all. They were the covenant people. They were, had the spirit be with them. They had the scriptures, the prophets, the Lord. And in the Nephites um, example, the Lord had even met with them. So how, how does that happen? And so Mormon is trying to express all of this and how does he do it? And then how do I know what he's trying to say to me? Because if anybody 
like, I really want to know what he has to say. And I think there's some clues when we look at actually the text. So when you look at a narrative structure, um, I think one thing that helps is the structure will tell us what he's trying to say. He's not trying to hide it. He's trying to be very overt and telling us. And and I started to kind of map out what I thought the structure was and just kind of outline it. And then I was like drawing pictures and doodling and trying to see, well, what is he saying? What is he saying? And I came up with an interesting structure. See what you think. Um, he has the structure of a narrative and then an editorial. So it's three chunks. Narrative, then an editorial. Narrative, then an editorial. So he tells part of the story and it is gruesome and terrible and sad and just really well, downer. And then he stops and he speaks and he, he, he sometimes writes that portion to a specific person, uh, like he's going to say, hey, this is to the Gentiles in chapter seven for next week. And sometimes he's talking to his own people. And sometimes he's talking to the Lamanites and those that have taken over his people. And other times he's just talking to us in the future. So I think it's interesting that when we look, he tells a story and then has a point, a story and a point in his first story he talks about Amaron and being 10 and growing up and becoming a general and yet being learned, getting the plates. And so we're like, oh, this is this is part of the story. And then he has a small editorial. So go look and say, what's that first editorial? And it goes kind of chronologically. And then he bounces back out into the story of being pushed and pushed and pushed in chapter five, um, four and five. And then he stops and he has a long aside and he talks about what's going on and why 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 did this happen because you feel you feel the the almost the geography that he's describing is just pinching down on top of you he's such a good writer that he's describing it and you're starting to feel the panic and then he stops and goes well I don't want to make it too grim and you're like oh good thing that was pretty panicking and then he gives this great editorial we'll get into that in a second then he has kind of a third narrative and that's the oh ye fair ones right and his great clamor this great lament to his people of how, how did we let this happen? How did this happen? And what a terrible time for someone to live in. And then another editorial. Now this edit last editorial is going to go out to the Gentiles and it's going to go out to the future. It's going to go out to us. And so that's next week's. So read that for next week. But I think each of those editorials has a different theme and it's a building theme. It's building and pushing on. So go back and see if you don't say, hey, I wonder if Mormon's trying to describe something by the way he structures it. And I think that he does. So um, in, let's jump down to chapter five a little bit. So again, the first sections, and if the original Book of Mormon had different chapter breaks, and so if you have an old copy um, or you can Google it, it goes like this. Uh, chapter one is actually our chapter one through three. So his personal history and his first points. And then four and five, destru destruction, the great evil, and then some of Mormon's main themes. And then chapter six and seven. Now our reading only stops at six, so you only get the narrative, the last battle. Oh, you fair ones. And then you get into his last points for next week. So maybe start with that in mind. So it's one and three, four and five, six and seven. In chapters four and five is what really stuck out to me this time, and I, I saw a lot of interesting things. Um, in this, he seems to go... Let me jump over to it. He seems to be trying to tell us the story. And he actually has a lot of poetry. And I noticed a chiasmus in 5, 14 through 20 in the middle. So the point of it is, they were once a delightsome people and they had Christ for their shepherd, yea, they were led even by God the Father. So he talks about them being covenant and letting that go. And then they were being scattered 
and then they were chaff before they wound up being led by something else. But at one point, they were delightsome. In fact, the the name Nephi, we think, has some um, meaning back either to an Egyptian name or something that means good, goodly, and good and delightsome. And so it's kind of a plan where they were goodly, that Nephites themselves were good people, and yet what how terrible they became. Um, and and so it, it's because they were once led by Christ, even God the Father, and they had forgotten who their leader was. They had left the Lord behind, and they had turned and being led by Satan and blown about and having terrible things happen. So he's telling us that they had they were the covenant people. They were there. They became something else. They forgot Christ and God in their lives. And so I think that's this important point of chapter five that he's going to tell us that yeah there's something there's something there that that they've left another point that i want to um draw out in narrative is sometimes narratives you know storytelling it's prose it's paragraphs and so in the verses sometimes it's really hard to see so if you have a chance read it in a different format or try to see if you don't see it yourself and map it out and one of the things that the prophets will use ancient and even modern is poetry. So when they get to something that's really emotional, they go from narrative storytelling to it's almost breaking out in song. It reminds me of like a musical, right? <laughs> Where they're talking, they're talking, and it gets emotional and they sing. And if it's even more emotional, they dance. And so in a book, they're trying to t- communicate so much. And how do they communicate that with these cues? And one of the cues is poetry. They almost break out into song. Mormon breaks out into a lament in this part. So he has this poetry here as a number of poems. And then in the next narrative, the great fall, uh, where they're chased down and it's only the 24, and he goes through all the people who have been destroyed. He has kind of a poem there to talk about the great destruction. So I guess my point is here that's really helpful for me is is say look at the structure itself and it's trying to indicate something and there's this poem about the 10,000. So the 10,000 of Josh and the 10,000 of Gideoni or whomever the names are and the 10,000 of so-and-so. When I was a kid I have my seminary scriptures and I have like you know account 260,000 or 240 or whatever it was and I was like wow that's like half a million people and I think that misses the point. You're like, wow, we've killed way more, you know, in the 20th century. Terrible for us. It's, it's not a count. He's not, I don't, I think that misses the point. I think what he's trying to do is describe how great the losses were, not only in numerics. Yeah, there were huge numbers of people, but he's trying to describe a lot. Um, In Hebrew and probably in most languages like in ours, we say it's like a bazillion. It's a lot. 10,000, you know, a thousand is a lot. So 10,000 is really, really a lot. So we say his, you know, multitude died and his multitude. And each one of those people were people he knew and their people. So think of it as you were describing your family and friends, right? So you were describing and the 10,000 people behind this dear friend and the 10,000 behind my brother and the 10,000 behind my mother and my daughter and my best friend and my college roommate and they all are gone forever and you feel the passion you feel the sadness it's almost overwhelming these chapters are just oh depressing I um, love and hate them because of how emotive they are they are just emotive and so when he describes those 10,000 and the 10,000 and even the 10,000 more, 
he's describing just if you close your eyes you can just see the battlefield just covered in bodies and there's every one of them are his people and they're people he had known and and even though they're evil and terrible he loves them he loves them and so he uses a poem he uses a poem and one of the great last sections here in uh chapter in this end chapter is the oh ye fair ones we probably know this it's i think one of the highlights it's also a poem um he's trying it's a lament we don't use a lot of laments so much anymore, but there are a lot of them in the scriptures. Um, you have some of them with Nephi, oh, wretched man that I am. And then there are, so there's a whole book called Lamentations um, by about the time of Jeremiah, very similar time when all of Jerusalem had been conquered and the city had been surrounded and destroyed and it was so equally terrible. And I won't even describe it, but they write a whole book of Lamentations. And then in some of the Psalms, there are laments. There's no answer. There's no, um, there's no hug at the end. It's a time when we can truly express to God how sad we are and how terrible things are. I love that we have an opportunity that the Lord wants us to have all those emotions and wants us to, he wants us to share those with him. So if you're having a particularly tough time, whether it's COVID or work or your kids or whatever it is, write your own lament and give it to the Lord. And here is Mormons, right? And he is writing it not just to the Lord, but to his people. O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? O ye fair ones, how could ye have rejected that Jesus who stood with open arms to receive you? Behold, if ye had not done this, ye would not have fallen. But behold, ye are fallen and I mourn your loss. O ye fair sons and daughters, ye fathers and mothers, ye husbands and wives, O ye fair ones, how is it that ye could have fallen? But behold, ye are gone, and my sorrows cannot bring your return. So powerful. His lament. He mourns his friends and family. He mourns his nation. Now, I said there wasn't hope in this lament, and there isn't in this one, is there? But there's hope for us. I mean, the whole reason that we get the scripture is so that we can say, how did this happen? How do we let this not happen again? In our own personal lives, how do we not let an apostasy happen? How do we turn back to Christ? How do we let him be our shepherd and introduce the spirit back? How do we avoid um, this as a nation and as nations throughout the world of, of uh, the community of Christ, the body of Christ? How do we let ourselves be turned by the good shepherd and not let these terrible times come upon us? Now, the good news is, is that this is the one time that it is going to work, but it's up to us to join the covenant, right? We have to choose. It's going to move along without us. If we don't, it's not going to wait for us. So there is hope. And in that chapter seven, the uh, Mormon's going to speak directly to us, the Gentiles. Now, we can talk about Gentiles and Jews and who's who, and if you're the house of Israel and you're adopted and you're not adopted. But in this case, you're an outsider. He's saying for those of you who didn't grow up like that, namely the Gentiles who came, you're probably a Gentile in this story. Now, in other parts of your life, yes, you're the house of Israel and part of the covenant and probably not even adopted. But when Mormon's speaking to you, he's saying that, group that was outside of the Israel from ancient times, that group that's going to be um, part of the new covenant, he's going to speak to us. 
and say welcome I think I think he's talking to us in chapter seven so read chapter seven and see if you don't say well here's his lament here's this how we avoid it how do we turn back to Christ and how do we let those covenants guide us back to the Lord and how do we become something different I think that's the message of um, Mormon one through six in fact the lesson says I would that I could persuade all to repent and that first block read his narrative and that that's his first section I would that I could persuade all to repent there's always a chance to come back there's always a chance to change and in fact we'll have to do that a lot won't we and I think that's the great joy of these messages down as they are sin and evil is real but we can always repent and turn back and the Lord is willing to bring us back in. Oh, ye fair ones. All right, brothers and sisters, that's it. I will try to jump on and do a section for uh, the end of um, Mormon. So we'll do seven. Eight and nine is actually Moroni. And so we will leave uh, the dear hero Mormon um, and salute to him, one of my very favorite authors. And this is the end of his entire book. And so give a little prayer of gratitude for his hard work and the joy that he brings us in the Book of Mormon. That's it, brothers and sisters. Until the next time, talk to you soon. Keep on reading.